Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 202. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to talk about turning red. For those who joined us last week, you know that we are doing the coming-of-age Pixar films, and this week it is Turning Red, which was one of the first films we watched in this house after we moved into it. That's right. I remember that it didn't get a theatrical release, which was kind of controversial when they announced that it was going to go straight to Disney+. Plus. Right. This was in the grand tradition of just giving away the Pixar films for free. Yes. So... Uh, I want to say that we caught it about a week after it dropped on Disney+. And immediately, you, you do start to compare it to Inside Out, right? Because it's a female lead. It's a coming-of-age film. Obviously, this deals with puberty more than Inside Out did. Inside Out teased that at the end. But I think that it was just um, inevitable that everybody would compare this to Inside Out. Right, and that's why we decided to do these two films back-to-back. Not that we're trying to pit them up against each other by any means, uh, but I think it's natural to compare the two. There are certainly a lot of similarities, but there really are a lot of differences, and that's what we're going to talk about. I have to ask you, though, um, you know, seeing this trailer for the first time as a female, it's extremely relatable. What was going through your mind when you saw this trailer? I thought that perhaps what this was going to do was, obviously, it it was geared towards the female demographic. That's not to say that a guy can't enjoy it. But what I thought that they were going to do was take the step that Inside Out didn't take, but also pepper in some adult humor and adult situations where you did offer a little something for, for everybody. In reality, so that so that a, a, a guy could sit here and watch it and maybe not be uncomfortable, because I think that there are certainly elements here that we'll talk about. Obviously, one in particular, you know what it is, that is meant to make people uncomfortable. And there was a lot of controversy around that. But I expected that they were going to toe the line and balance it out with comedy so that it was approachable for everybody. Yeah, I honestly thought this film was going to be one giant metaphor, but it's it, it couldn't be farther from that. There's so many more layers and so much more depth than that. Correct. So, is this movie approachable for everybody? Was it worth the controversy? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy and stay up to date on all of the new releases. It's 2002, and we meet May Lee and her friends Abby, Miriam, and Priya as they navigate the 8th grade. May falls victim to an overbearing mother, Ming, all while... The only thing she wants to be is a 13-year-old and go to see her favorite band, Four Town, in concert in her hometown of Toronto. When her mother discovers doodles of a young man named Devin that May has a crush on, her mother storms down to the store where he works, confronts him, and embarrasses May in front of her classmates at the store. 
May has a nightmare that night and wakes up as a giant red panda. But her parents instead think that May has transitioned into womanhood. That's how the nicest way I can say that. The flower has blossomed. As May calms down, she sees that she transitions back into human form and can control the panda. When mom arrives at school later that day with pads for May, she goes full panda and runs home. Her parents tell her that her ancestors love the red panda, and Sun Yi asked to be turned into a red panda to protect her family and village during the war, and that the gift has been passed down and turned into a curse. But there is a cure that comes through a ritual during the next red moon, and that the more she uses the panda, the harder it is to cure it. When her friends visit her at home, they see her in panda form and grow concerned, but May sees that thinking of her friends calms her and keeps her in human form. She also learns that Fort Town is coming to Toronto officially and asks her parents to see them, but they will not allow it. When May's grandmother sees May's panda on the news, because the cameras caught her tearing through Toronto, she says that she will come handle the ceremony herself as Ming is unable to control May. The girls lie about having a sleepover at Miriam's and decide to buy tickets to the Four Town show after the kids in school confess their love for the panda. So they sell merchandise and photo ops to make the money to go to the show. How very Disney of them. When Tyler, a bully at school, offers May $200 to make an appearance at his birthday party, she agrees as that will get them over the top to Four Town, but she will only go for one hour. However, May's grandmother and aunts arrive to help May with the panda, so she sneaks out to make her appearance and learns that the four-town concert is the same night as her ritual. When her mother realizes where she is, she goes to the party where May has tackled and scratched Tyler after he picked on May and her family. May's mom blames her friends for May's behavior, and May does not correct her mother, causing a divide with Miriam, Priya, and Abby. The night of the concert arrives, and May decides to keep the panda, so she heads to the Sky Dome for the show, which infuriates her mother and sends Ming into her panda form, which is very aggressive and she has had problems controlling in the past. At the concert, May, Miriam, Priya, and Abby reconcile and see that Tyler loves Fort Town as well, but as they enjoy the show, her mother arrives and literally destroys the Sky Dome. May and her aunts and her grandmother all transform into pandas to subdue her mother and perform the ritual again to take her mother's panda away, but May decides that she, after all of that, will still keep her panda. After the panda is pulled from her ancestors, they are able to live a normal life in Toronto where they run a very successful temple, which they do tours of, and they make amends for everyone while they slowly raise money to rebuild the Sky Dome that her mother had destroyed. By selling Red Panda merch, how very Disney. I mean, it is, right? <laughs> I mean, we're not going to ignore the fact that it isn't so very Disney of them. I will never in my life forget 
the Jungle Cruise ride that we took that had to be the skipper's last day for sure at Disney because there were just so many liberties taken with that script. But one of them was, you know, when you're going into the temple, he was like, oh, where are we going to end up? It's Disney. So likely a gift shop. Yeah. Our jaws fell to the bottom of that boat. One day when I know that that young man no longer works for the company confirmed I'll have to release the video because I have the entire thing on video. I'm so glad vacation. you didn't stop rolling because he was the best skipper we've ever had. For sure. All right, let's start getting into this film here. Um, from the jump, this is a very, very different kind of movie. And the reason why I say that, forget the subject matter. May says crap on camera within the first minute of this film. You've never heard what is considered to be a curse word in a Pixar film before. So out of the gate, you know that this is going to have a different feel. It's going to have a very different attitude about it. No, and certainly never coming out of the mouth of a child. Right. I mean, she's a teenager, but for all intents and purposes, she's a child. I mean, when you think about it, even though it's Disney and Pixar, and Pixar you get a little bit more liberty. Think back to Lion King. Pumbaa yeah. not in front of the kids. You couldn't even say fart in a Disney movie. And now yeah. we're saying crap. So times are a-changing. Uh, what I love about this opening, um, I like that they start with the snapshots as opposed to starting with May as a child and then doing a time jump. Uh, I think that that would definitely have been ripping off of uh, Inside Out far too yes. much because that yes. is how we how we meet Riley. So I think this was a really smart way to go about it um, and also a really intelligent way to weave in the culture. Uh, but what I noticed, um, and this is a similarity to Inside Out, but it is something very unique to these two films, is that we get both parents and it didn't dawn on me until we sat down to watch turning red that they didn't kill off a parent in either of these films. And I think that that was a very smart choice too, because there is nothing about having either main character dealing with grief that would have added a layer to the story that we needed. I think it just would have been too much, especially Lord knows with inside out, you get so much sadness and you know, that that's the whole arc of the film is learning how to deal with your sadness and your emotions to to throw in a death. It just would have been too much. And it certainly wouldn't have lent itself to to any aspect of of May learning to control her emotions either. Yeah. And I think that as much as this is about May going through this change and learning how to deal with it, it's also her parents having to learn how to deal with this because not to jump too far ahead in the film, but they think they know how to handle it. Well, Ming thinks she knows how to handle it because Jin is just going to, Jin just kind of sits there and is silenced the entire film. Um, but it, it's as much about the entire family as it is about May. So I'm glad that they're showing this because in reality, if a, if a, if an adolescent still has both of their parents it it's as much about the parents as it is about the kid right i mean broad strokes this really is about the relationship between mother and daughter i mean right. there's a lot more to the film than that but um 
part of it, a large part of it is them navigating their relationship. Um, so, you know, you made a point of saying that May says crap and that that's something very different. Um, I, I hadn't even really noticed it, to be honest with you. But what struck me is how this voiceover should not work at all, but it does so well. And I think that is because of the well-rounded character that they created with May. And I know we usually break it down and we get to characters later, but I think that this is so important to the story. Um, and what makes this story so unique is because, especially our generation growing up in the 90s, the nerd character, quote-unquote, whether they were the insecure nerd or whether they embraced being an intellectual or in May's case, that confident nerd. Right. They were all the butt of the joke. And I love that this film just flips that idea on its head and that you put a character like that as the main character. Um, it, it's something that you really don't get to see. I'm trying to think of comparable films, but like, really, I, I can't. I, I'm sort of at a loss. Um, yeah, because even in Revenge of the Nerds, they are a stereotype and a butt of most of the jokes. And it's also, I'm, I mean, yeah, this is a group of girls who all sort of fall into that same category. But especially with this age group in particular, because for early teens or even late teens, you're either getting Mean Girls or you're getting a Cinderella story, something like Princess Diaries or, you know, like that ugly duckling turned to the swan kind of a story. So this was just a really fresh take on that age group. So kudos, Pixar. Let me ask you a question, though. Are they trying too hard to pretend that kids don't care about labels? Because they, they hammer it home very early in the film, that May doesn't care about labels. And I understand that Pixar is trying to teach kids a lesson about don't be mean and embrace who you are and don't bully other people. That's all well and good, and I commend them for trying. But if you're trying to make a coming-of-age film that's relatable, you cannot just sugarcoat the life of a 13-year-old. Kids care about labels. You can't pretend that they don't. And because you put it out there and say, I don't care about labels, that's not... You could say that until you are blue in the face. You you are not going to change the life of a 13-year-old as every kid has been at the age of 13. I absolutely agree with you, but I think that that's a strength of this film because they have May saying one thing, but what we see is entirely another. True. If she truly didn't care, she wouldn't be so freaked out when she transforms in the middle of a classroom. She wouldn't feel the need to go hide into a bathroom. Tyler wouldn't be embarrassed to go to the Four Town concert. Yeah. So... I think it's playing off of that idea that you can sit there and, and you're going to say it and try and convince yourself of it. And you're going to walk into that school with confidence that day. But we all know that you care. I'm really glad you bring that up because I feel like that is one of the elements that makes this film so relatable as opposed to 
them just ignoring it in order to prove their point. Overall, a very good start to the movie, and I like the fact that they do put a timestamp on it, not only because we see the calendar, but also with this four-town thing. Because boy bands were such the thing in the in the mid to late 90s. Yes, in the early 2000s. I actually think maybe by the time the early 2000s came around, the fad was kind of dying off. How dare you? In sync forever. Were they that big in 2002? No, they had already... Right, them, Backstreet Boys, Spice Girls, they were all on the tail end. Oh, wait. Spice Girls, you're, you're getting, you're, you're conflating bands here. Spice Girls was mid-90s, before the boy band revelation. Then it was Backstreet and NSYNC. Um, NSYNC really, they never officially broke up, but we can kind of assume that because Justin went and did his whole solo career thing. Backstreet Boys, they never broke up. They never really stopped making music and they've certainly never stopped touring. No, and 98 Degrees is just an in-sync cover band at this point. They're like an entire 90s cover band at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but did they set the movie a little too late is my question. Would they have been better suited to make it a late 90s film? If you're putting a timestamp on it based on pop culture, based on the pop culture that you're trying to reflect. I mean, I I would think this is a late 90s film. NSYNC and Backstreet were 98 and 99. That's what I'm saying. Spice Girls were like 95. They were earlier. But there are other timestamps that date it as well. Uh, there's Tamagotchi, which was earlier like, than boy bands. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like the Tamagotchi thing, I remember in like the fifth grade so that would have been like 1997 this film right. takes place in 2002 and then when we meet Priya she's clearly reading what is a Twilight knockoff um so I think that they're just sort of pulling from a whole bunch of ideas which is fine because it it sort of opens it up a little bit so that all age groups can latch on to something because Twilight was a little bit too late for us I'm sort of thankful that we missed that boat um but you are giving kids that were a little bit younger than us during that time like that was their big thing uh and they're certainly not going to allude to Harry Potter being a big thing of course not um so I I think that that was smart to give everybody some sort of visual cue that they would like but um as far as setting it later um I mean, I don't know that you really needed to timestamp anything. To me, Four Town was more of a plot device than it had to do with the time and the setting. But I think the boy band thing comes from the filmmakers being our age now. This is what they're reflecting on during their childhood. I just like that Aaron T and Aaron Z are there too. It, it was, there's five of them, and you have the three that everybody talks about, and then there's the other ones. It's it's brilliant, and it's so true. Especially, like, when you look at it now, and you see these later interviews where these guys are no longer limited by contracts anymore, and they can speak more freely about what the experience was like. Yeah. I mean, it's just one big marketing machine. It is. Like, it. it's no wonder Justin Timberlake wanted to pursue a solo career. I hated him for it when I was 16, but I, I get it now. 
So immediately you get introduced to the group of friends and you see that they are concerned for May. They want her to hang out. They want her to look at boys. They want her to go to karaoke. They want her to, to have fun. They're concerned with her having to go back to the temple for cleaning day. So I think what they accomplish here is they make the three of them, Abby, Priya, and Miriam, likable from the start. But you also flesh out that there's obviously an ongoing problem there that May thinks that she's hiding and she's doing a very poor job of. I think it's just good character development very quickly. Okay, so this is sort of the one thing that I bump on with this film. I love the setup of her of May's group of friends. I think they're all such great characters, but I feel like they don't do anything with them. They're, I, I love how they are represented visually. They're each a different color, which sort of cues you into the role that they each play with May but I feel like they didn't give Abby Priya and Miriam full arcs I feel like they could have merged everyone into Miriam and just given May the best friend however to the film's credit I think if you had given May only one friend, then it would have fallen victim into the nerd stereotype because you're going to see the two of them as outcasts. Whereas these four girls, and I also understand like it had to be four of them because of four town, right? Um, but I think by giving May a group to belong to, that also helped spin this out of a stereotype and into the lens of a character that we don't, often get into the mindset of. Right. So they send her off. She's on the bus back to the temple where her parents run these tours because it is the family temple. I love this set. I do too. I think it's visually stunning. And I think, again, it does a good job of fleshing out her parents' characters and giving her a little bit more depth as well very quickly and and they don't waste a lot of time with backstory because I don't think you necessarily have to. What's interesting to me is how they demonstrate this relationship with May's mother um, because they have just almost villainized the parents in the scene prior where, as you said, her friends are, let's do this. Uh, you, you don't have to answer to your parents. Let's go uh, sing karaoke. Right. Um, you have established that even though May loves being a perfectionist, she is sort of answering to a higher power. She's putting pressure on herself. And I think they were very careful not to show her parents putting that kind of pressure on her. They're obviously very proud of her and they are very strict. But as far as her grades and all of that, you don't really see them being forceful. And I think the way they were able to juxtapose that is that, you know, you see May rushing to the temple for cleaning day. She's helping her mom, but it is softened by, you know, her mom and her working as a team and they're fist bumping and they're clearly having fun. Whereas I think anytime we've seen this type of relationship in the past, you see 
a parent being like over the top hard on someone like May, uh, where it's just unnecessary and they don't have a fun relationship. So I think that that was a really smart way to take this. Right. I mean, ultimately, May loves her mother, but I I don't think May has this great relationship. I don't think she's having as much fun with her as she leads on. Well, I guess for me, what I'm thinking of is that the last time that we saw a relationship like this in mainstream media was Gilmore Girls. And I was a huge Gilmore Girls fan, but... I sort of started comparing May's relationship with her mother to Lane in Gilmore Girls and Mrs. Kim, which was a completely different situation because, number one, Mrs. Kim was a single parent. And two, they're Korean. This is Chinese-Canadian. So it is very different situations. But as far as the examples that we've had in mainstream media, there haven't been very many. Right. And I think it's sort of natural to lean into that role of the very strict parent. And I like that this film broke out of it. For sure. But let's talk about that, though, because it immediately goes into being a very strict parent, almost a hysterical parent, because we go home, dad cooks dinner... I like the uh, role reversal. That's something that you don't see very often either, is that the the woman is running the business and dad's... I mean, I don't even know that dad has a job in this case. I think he is just a homemaker. I think dad works at the temple with mom. We don't see it, though. No. I mean, I'm sure he's like part owner, but she's doing the groundwork, really. So they make dinner. They're watching television. May goes upstairs to do her homework. I, I think it's upstairs. Maybe it's it, it, irrelevant. Irrelevant. She goes to her room to do her homework. She's got her headphones on. She starts to doodle about this guy, Devin, who works at the convenience store, um, who her friends think is the best-looking thing on earth. She couldn't really understand it until she starts to doodle him. And then she continues to doodle and doodle and doodle. Now, mom comes in to give her a snack, grabs her notebook because she sees that it's just lying there. My my big issue with this movie, I'm getting this out of the way now, is mom in general. There's no boundaries. Number one, there's no boundaries. Number two, they made her so extra, she's not a believable character. Here's the thing. I'm willing to suspend reality when I watch movies. I don't think that every film needs to necessarily be a reflection of reality. I'm not going to sit there and watch Iron Man and question whether or not it could actually happen. You do have to suspend reality to a point. However, in this case, you're trying to... I'm not going to call it a social commentary, but you're trying to make this a very relatable situation for people um and no parent is going to see a doodle in a book and immediately put a face to it i agree and that was actually something that i was sort of bumping on too was that for all the good they did setting up this relationship in the temple scene they negate it by having her mother not only be nosy but the way that she jumps to conclusions 
The most relatable thing about this scene, though, is that moment of, oh, crap, when May realizes that she does, in fact, have a crush on Devin. Um, to me, that was something that just took me right back to being that age and thinking that you hate someone and realizing that they are on your mind for a reason. And then you're like, uh oh. Uh, so I thought that that was just so well done. And then the way that she dives under her bed, like she's mortified by it. I, I just thought the whole thing was so great. Um, but yeah, all the feels in this scene because you're relating to May. And then as soon as mom comes in, uh, just a million things going through my mind. Why are you picking up the notebook? Why are you being nosy? Why are you thinking that I'm in a relationship with an older man and that he's doing these things to me? Why do you think that he's a mermaid, a merman? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the drive to Daisy Mart. My heart goes into my stomach every single time for me. But my, my biggest issue with it is why would you go with her? You know that she's going to embarrass you. Why not just sit this one out, May? Unless she was given no choice. But then, but this is my whole thing, right? And and I'm going to say this again. Well, I'm going to say this now. It happens again when mom shows up at school. When mom continues to keep showing up at school. Ugh. I, I brought your pads. No, no conscious adult is going to do that to their child in front of their classmates. No conscious adult is going to continue to trespass on school grounds. Not for anything, especially nowadays, no. with security being so heightened on school campuses. No parent is going to continue to linger and get chased away by security day after day after day just to eavesdrop on their kid, regardless of whether they're turning panda or not. But that That's happening before the panda thing even happens, before mom even knows what's going on. The entire thing is that mom is way too over the top. And I think that that's made worse once you find out what mom's backstory is later. Right, but that is sort of an interesting way to play it, though, because you sort of need mom to be over the top because you need something that's going to trigger the panda. But that's sort of what makes mom so aggravating is that if you know what it's like to have the panda. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Um, all right, let me ask you this question now. Is mom selfish? Is Ming selfish? That's a good question. I, I, I tend to say yes. Um, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that what she's doing in this film is being done to protect may and if she is trying to protect may and her intentions are actually good then either she's a complete failure as a human being or <laughs> pixar in this case has done a poor job of convincing us that she's trying to do the right thing um i'm attacking this from a completely different way i'm thinking more about the like the second to last scene with Ming where I mean I'm jumping way ahead here where May sees her as a child and the amount of pressure she felt from her mother so I don't know that Ming is being selfish I think that she's trying to spare May from going what she, 
going through what she went through with her own mother, I think that she's just trying to spare May of going through what she did with her own mother and she just doesn't know how to go about it. And I think part of that is because she's got like unresolved trauma from, from her own Panda because the relationship with her mother was never repaired. Her mother clearly has a good relationship with the rest of her sisters, just not her. And think about it, they're all living together in Florida, whereas Ming is in Toronto with her family. Um, so I don't know that I would call her selfish. I, I don't have a better word, though, at the moment. Disconnected, maybe. Yeah, I mean, out of I, touch, yeah. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I think what you're saying has validity. It's just that at the same time, everything that you see in regards to what Ming went through in her life, in many ways, she's putting May through the exact same thing. And it was so upsetting to her, and it caused her so much stress, more times than not. When somebody is trying to give their kid a better life, and they're like actively trying to give their kid a better life than they had, it's because they subconsciously remember what it was like growing up for themselves, and they will do everything in their power to not do the same thing to their children. Not only does Ming do the same thing to May, she's almost even worse, because what we are seeing over and over and over again is that the biggest trigger for May is Ming. And Ming does not have a concept of what the personal boundaries are, whether it's at home or at school in front of her classmates. I mean, it's bad enough. She's already embarrassed her once at the Daisy Mart in front of the other kids from school. Now she's actually showing up at the window of her classroom causing a scene. And it happens more than once. Right. And I... It's only as we're talking through it now that I'm sort of realizing it is that Ming knows how to parent her and they have a good relationship when May is doing exactly what she wants. Yes. The best time that we see this relationship is at the temple when May is helping her. Yes. When they are helping dad with dinner. Otherwise, Ming is just completely out of her depth, which I think is really evidenced in the scene where May first turns into the red panda. Um. This is something that really bothers me. Um, the The fact that Ming knows about the Red Panda and knows that May is about that age, that that wasn't the first thing that came to your mind. I mean, May is also about the right age for puberty, too. So she's in the bathroom. She's obviously very upset. I mean, it is very natural to jump to that conclusion. Sure. Um. But I don't know why Ming also wouldn't have thought about the panda in this moment. Yeah. Uh, the fact that this is something that has affected every female in her family and that this gets passed down from generation to generation. I mean, the most she says was, I didn't think we have to worry about this yet. That's it. That's the entire defense for why they didn't think it would have been the panda. My bigger issue with what she says is when she goes, don't worry, mommy's here. That's rich. When you showed that you can't handle your daughter having a crush and you overreact to that, 
whether it's the panda or her period, she's clearly overreacting in this situation and doesn't know what to do. And she, she's just running aimlessly through the house. And then you do the worst thing that you could possibly do. You tell Jin what's going on. Let May have a private moment. Dad, should, Dad doesn't want to hear this, first of all. No, he doesn't. Just leave him out of it. I don't have and a daughter. And for God's sake, be quiet. I don't have a daughter, and I can tell you I'd want nothing to do with hearing about this. That's that's your situation to deal with. It's your private moment. More times than not, it's an embarrassing thing the first time it happens. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like, usually, but that's the thing, right? Like, the stereotype is it's the idiot father. It's Al Bundy, right? That's going to make it worse. Not her own mother, who's supposed to be the sympathetic one, that's supposed to be prepared, that's supposed to be calm. Yes. Yeah, usually it is the dad that does something embarrassing. You're absolutely right. But again, that's where the movie does take all these stereotypes that we've seen. And it, and I mean stereotype in the sense of movie trope and, and just turns them upside down. But yeah, you know, from the 13-year-old perspective, it is totally embarrassing all you want is your privacy and and you just want everyone to shut up. You don't want anyone to know that this is happening to you. It's hard enough to deal with in and of itself, but you certainly don't want people talking about it. And you certainly don't want your dad to know. Can we talk about some of the brilliance, though, of this scene? Yes. Okay. To begin with, we know that it's the panda and that it's not puberty however i think that the symbolism here yes is spectacular and i think that it's a very tasteful way of presenting this very because when you think about it without i'm not a doctor and i'm not going to get into the what's happening it's a very adult thing to happen it's it's the first adult thing that really happens in your life right and so i think to make it approachable so that you're not out and out saying what it is but you're not not saying what mm -hmm. it is and maybe you're hiding it behind the panda i think it does a good job of making it approachable where for a younger kid that's watching this movie for the first time that stumbles across it on Disney Plus and they know it's just the new Pixar film, they just think it's a movie about a panda. They just think it's a movie about turning into an animal. So it's not so over their head that they can't that they can't relate to the film on any level especially because they use the symbolism very cleverly here just as far as oh my god i'm hairy and i stink and just by virtue of being the color red yeah and gigantic i mean honestly like that is what you feel like you feel like everyone is staring at you you feel like everyone knows um but whether what i wish that they would have done was given us more clarity if May was dealing with both at the same time, if she had just entered womanhood and then on top of this, it's the panda or it's just the panda. I think for the purpose of this film, it does serve the film better that it is ambiguous and we don't have a clear cut answer. But I think as far as trying to send that message to kids, 
you know, this might be the only exposure that some kids have to a conversation like this. Like, I I will never forget. Um, my mother had no idea what was coming because my grandma didn't tell her. She thought she was dying. I can't even imagine what that must have been like to not know what is happening with your body. So I think that is so important that you are cluing young girls in to what they are going to go through and, and making it funny because otherwise when you do hear about this, it's terrifying. Do you think this scene was worth the controversy surrounding it? Yeah. You think, you, you think that this film was worth the controversy? That people were so offended that they would have uh, symbolically talked about a girl having her period in a Pixar film? You, you think that it was worth the controversy? Oh, I personally don't think that there's anything offensive about it, but I'm saying the controversy was worth it to get people talking. I see. See, now, to me, like, I, I don't think that this should have had the controversy around it that it did. Here, I, I, I listen, everybody, and it's, and it's all of you. It's all of you. You're all offended by something. Regardless of what side of the fence you're on, you are all offended, okay? So it's not just one or the other, and I'm putting that out there now. And if you're offended, turn me off, because you've just proved my point. But... The thing is, I understand where some people would say, I'm not ready to discuss this with my six-year-old. Yes. However, they don't really come out and say what is happening. I also don't think that... It's not like they did this in Bluey, right? Like, this isn't something that's <laughs> meant for a five-year-old. The target demographic for this film is kind of that 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. You're already aware of what's happening. Either you've gone through it or it's something that is on your mind that you are fearful of because you know that it's going to happen eventually. I think the fact that they can make it approachable, put it out there and balance it out with the comedy, I think that it does make sense. I get where if people have to answer questions that they weren't ready to answer, I get you. But at the same time, nobody nobody was offended when Bambi's mother got shot, right? It's, it's just what happens in the movie. So I think there does need to be a level of, hey, Disney has never been afraid to teach a life lesson. This is just the one that they happened to teach in this film and to the point you made earlier, it made a lot of people uncomfortable for what was likely the right reasons. Well, but see, that's it. I think that's why Disney put this off on Pixar. I don't think Disney has the guts to do this under their own banner. I think under Pixar, you're safe because they're more progressive and they will push the envelope a little bit. Disney wouldn't have, you're not, you're not going to see, uh, you know, you wouldn't have seen Anna going through this. No, probably not. Uh, She'll only marry somebody that she met minutes ago. <laughs> but I do think that that was the better choice to leave it ambiguous because if you're not ready to talk to your child about this and you show them this film, you could just write it off as, oh, well, they, they, 
trap the panda in in a talisman at the end of it and just make it solely about the panda right and not explain what the metaphor means and then maybe you know years later when you are ready you do revisit it and and you watch it with different eyes with your kid or you watch it again and you you explain the metaphor right but that's that's the brilliance of it and that's why i don't think that it should have been so controversial because pixar gives you the out true very true um how do you feel about we we kind of talked about it a little bit before how do you feel about the scene at school where she turns panda and eventually escapes is it too much that mom went there or do you think you needed something to drive may out of school um well first the beginning of that scene I love that Miriam knows that something's up and she keeps pushing her. She keeps sliding her the notes. She knows that something is off. Uh, So I love that we have a solid best friend in our corner. Love that for May. Um, With mom, do I think it's too much? Yes. Do I think it's out of character? No. But they even just, they they put her in those glasses. She looks like a spy hiding behind that tree. So it is very funny. But um, again, over the top, which is on brand for her. But I I think you do need to to give something for May to run away from. Because that's the thing. I don't know that May would have left school otherwise. Because at this point, and we haven't really talked about this, she did figure out how to calm herself down enough to even get to school. Right, with the, so, with the brushes, yes. Yes. I I feel like if her mom wasn't there, she would have just hid in the bathroom until she could turn back. I think you needed to give her the thing to run away from s- screaming. Correct. Now back at the house, this is where we learn that it's a it was a family gift that turned into a curse, um, and that it's going to be a month before they have this next red moon where they can do this ceremony. It's also at this point that uh, Priya, Abby, and Miriam go to the house to check on May. And they see her in this panda form. They talk about Four Town coming to Toronto. And this is where May is able to transform back into human form because all she's doing is thinking about her group of friends. I think that it was smart that they planted it early. Because it does, if you think about it, it, it kind of does happen very quickly. But I think it's simple enough. Thinking of her friends, that's her happy place, that's what calms her, that's what grounds her. I don't think it needs a ton of explanation. Right. So I think planting that early on was great. And I think the other thing that it did was it added an extra layer of drama for May because we know that her mother does not approve of Miriam. When her mother eventually asks how she's able to do this, she says she hides it. And says, I just think about the people that mean the most to me. Her parents just assume that she's talking about them. Right. So the fact that she's instead talking about this group of friends, the best friend of which her parents, or at least her mother, does not approve of, I like that they that they peppered that in there. The only thing that I don't like is how they've peppered in what triggers the panda. Because for such a high-strung character, I feel like she should have turned 
more times in that first night and in the scene with her friends than she actually did. I mean, I know we have to establish that her friends are what calm her down. But the night before, when her parents are explaining everything to her, I feel like there's a lot of high and low moments in that conversation because she's so angry with them. But she didn't turn red at that point. And then even with her friends the next day, they're talking about the concert and all the challenges uh, that are in their way as far as getting the tickets and and going. Um, I feel like same thing. She gets so emotional and it's so extreme. And I, I, it's so smart because that really is a testament to the writing about how extreme you go to when you're that age. You know, we spent all of last week talking about how Riley needs to learn how to balance out all of her emotions. And then once you start thinking you're getting the hang of it, that's why it's so brilliant to end on that. What's the puberty button? Yeah. Because once you think that you have control, you hit puberty and it's all over the place again. So I think they did a really good job of showing those extremes that May is going to as far as, you know, being so elated one minute and then so low the next when you realize something's standing in your way of what you want. Um, But I just think that we should have seen more popping in and out of the panda at that point. Considering the fact that her mother is such a trigger for the panda, yes. Exactly, yeah. Um, Because at this point, she hasn't really learned how to control it yet either up to that point where she has that conversation so you're right it it would have it would have been funny it would have added a layer of comedy which you didn't necessarily need but it wouldn't have hurt it either um and yes it would have certainly given it a little bit more levity that her mother certainly is the trigger for the panda um let's talk about when she pitches to her parents about this four town concert First off, how offended was your mother that you listened to In Sync? My mom took me to my first concert, which was In Sync, uh, and it was a sold-out show at the Garden. It was already sold out, and my parents went through every back channel you can imagine to get these tickets. They pulled out all the stops so that I could go. So they didn't consider In Sync to be "quote unquote" stripper music. <laughs> no. Okay. Just, I was curious as to why so many parents in this film were offended by the idea of this boy band. What That doesn't have me bothered the most, though. What had me bothered the most, and, and I'm, we talked about before whether or not mom is selfish, this is one of those instances where I, 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 led to, I, I was led to believe that she was. When Jin tries to say... When Jin tries to say that it might not be the worst idea to let her go to the show with her friends because she shows that she can control the panda, not only does Ming interrupt him, she puts her hand in his face. Oof. It's, I'm sorry, it's, whether it's meant to be a form of comedy or not, it's not funny. I, I don't think that it's that funny. I, I think it's incredibly rude. It's certainly not funny. It wouldn't be funny if he did that to her. Of course not. That's the point, though. Right. It, it's not funny. Um, and I think that what that has done at this point 
is you've taken what is I I I believe up to this point a, a dislikable character, and you've just made her obnoxious because she's overbearing with her daughter, but she has absolutely no respect for her spouse. Right. She's kind of self-righteous, very much so. And I think that that's a big miss here. Because for what they try to set up later in the film, I think that by the time the sympathy comes, it's too late. No, I agree. And especially when you think about it in terms of we later learn that Ming gave up almost her entire family to be with Jin. And this is how you treat him. I feel like, you know, and I'm I'm all about empowered women and seeing these characters. I mean, this film alone, the four major above the line roles are all women, the director, producer, visual effects supervisor and the production designer, all women. It's amazing, uh, especially when you think about, you know, some of Pixar's greatest storytellers. I, I love the man, Pete Docter. He's he's been running the show for how many years? Um, but my point is, I feel like these empowered women are being written now, which is a wonderful thing. But sometimes that's taken too far to the extreme. And and I'm not just saying this about Pixar. I feel like in general we are seeing either words or actions where if a man did it, you would never tolerate that. So there shouldn't be a double standard just to prove a point. Yeah. And that, that does happen. Basically anytime anybody tries to get involved with anything, it it happens with me. And that's kind of problematic. Because what happens later, you're supposed to feel so awful for this character. You're supposed to feel so awful for what she went through. But you're also trying to put the pieces together as to why she's treating her daughter the way that she does. Why she treats the panda the way that she does. The whole thing is just a miss. The whole thing is a miss. Right. Um, all right, let's move on from this and talk about how... Um, the kids at school confess that they actually love the panda. So this whole thing that uh, May was terrified of that she ran away from turns out that all of the kids in school love it and there's a way for them to profit on it to get to this four-town concert. Um, What I like most about it, other than it's a vehicle to get the four-town tickets, other than the fact that it's a vehicle to drive home the idea that she just can't keep doing this over and over again because it's going to be harder for her to release the panda. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that the one thing that she was scared of the most is the one, literal literal one thing that everybody in school loves about her. Yeah, but I think this is one of several instances where this film just has such a great balance um, because, you know, I had mentioned it before that In broad terms, it's about the relationship with her mother. But what this film is really about is embracing who you are, flaws and all. This is where May starts to do that, but it's external. It's not internal. I think it's more a relief for her that the kids at school are embracing this. Um, 
I don't think that she's fully come to terms with her panda yet. I think it's just, okay, well, I can use this to my benefit. Um, but this is what I was talking about before where I, I don't necessarily care how Four Town would timestamp the movie because as a plot device for this money-making scheme and for the girl's motivation being the concert tickets, I think that was so smart. It's a means to an end, right? Yes. And and it's it's not realizing the power of the panda, not knowing that you're, you know, kind of playing with fire here, not knowing the consequences. And that's what makes her an adolescent, right? Right. She's not fully aware of the consequences for her actions. She only knows how she can use it to benefit her. Gets, short term. Yeah, short term. She's popular. Yes. It, it gets her to the concert. Remember all that remember all that crap earlier about about how she didn't care about labels? Mm-hmm. Well, she seems to care about them an awful lot now, doesn't she? Right. And that's my point. It's like Pixar and Disney I I again, I commend you for trying to pull something off, but your character reverted back to the one thing that every teenager does that you tried to bury in the first 40 seconds of screen time. I think that that does need to be, I think that that needs to be called out. No, I, I totally agree, but they, again, balance. She sort of takes that power back when Tyler asks her to perform at the birthday party. And she's like, all right, I'm only going to do it for an hour. Yeah. Uh, well, yes and no. She she obviously gives in to this person that she doesn't like because, it again, it's a means to an end. Mm. You know, she's willing to sneak out on her family to do something she doesn't really want to do because it's a means to an end, because it gets her and her friends to this concert. She's deceiving her family and sneaking out to go to this party to then later deceive and lie to them to go to this concert. So it balances, but again, I, I, I don't want I don't want anybody to be confused and to think that I'm just slamming the movie and that I don't enjoy it. I, I think it's a very good movie. The problem is, I think at times to make a point, and I think at times to push a story forward, they're kind of losing the point that they were trying to make 15 minutes prior because it's just convenient to do that now to push the story along. No, I don't disagree with you, but I think this is where it feels very real because she's only thinking about the short term is that she needs to go to the birthday party to get the $200 because that's, what's going to put them over the top for the concert tickets. And they raise the stakes by okay, the longer you stay as a panda, the worse the the ritual is going to be for you. Right. But she's not thinking about that. She's just thinking of, in the moment, this is what I need. Right. And obviously, as this all gets played out, it creates a little bit more tension with her friends, specifically with Miriam, who's back to trying to get her to calm down. But May can't calm down because all she wants to do is get to this concert because ultimately she not only wants to go, but she doesn't want to let her friends down. Obviously, that all gets turned on its head when her grandmother and her aunts show up literally unannounced. And yet they don't trigger the panda, which is beyond me. 
because they're stuffing her face full of food. They're picking at her. Oh, you're too skinny. You're too fat. Or no, they didn't say it in so many words. Uh, one says you lost weight. One says you gained. Yeah. Uh, and and they're just like picking apart every inch of her, which is completely insensitive because they know what she's dealing. It's insensitive to begin with, but knowing what she is dealing with right now, why and how she didn't just go full panda is beyond me. Yeah, but didn't we all go through that when you would have a family get together, whether it be a birthday or a reunion or a holiday where you get the family members that you see once a year? Didn't we all go through that exact same scenario and that exact same conversation? Oh, you still get it. I mean, it's a million times more awkward when you're a kid and they're pointing out things that you perceive as shortcomings about yourself. Uh, But... You know, it it still happens. When are you getting married? When are you having a kid? You know, it's always like that next thing that they're focused on and not what you are or who you are. So that's all happening. And then she sneaks out to go to this birthday party. And all is well with the world until Tyler demands more out of her. May, that is to entertain at this party of which she was only going for an hour anyway, and she got her money. So she doesn't really care to perform anymore. He's getting agitated. She's getting agitated. And when he makes fun of her family, that's when she snaps. That's when the Panda fully red eye and she attacks him, scratches him. Meanwhile, her mother, has found the invitation to the birthday party. She found everything. She found everything. Found money, found merchandise, found everything. She gets there, and Tyler's parents blame her and May for the chaos, which makes sense. What does not quite make sense to me is at this point in time, you're three quarters of the way through the movie. You're, this is really the start of your third act, right? Mm-hmm. May has gone through all of this with her friends. She's questioned already whether or not she should give the panda up. Why is she not standing up to her mother? After all of this, after all they went through, why is she letting her mother say all of these awful things about the only three friends that she's got because they were her friends before she was the popular panda. Why does she let her do it? Why doesn't she stand up for them? At this point, she's been through so much. This is supposed to be her moment for her to stand up and do what's right. And she completely throws it away. At face value though, you just said it. It's the beginning of the third act. We haven't had the full arc. She's not ready to stand up to her mother yet. Uh, what I do like that they did here was give Tyler a bigger role other than just being the bully. He's definitely got more stakes. He's threatening May. Yeah. Eventually. I mean, I, I actually would have liked to see Tyler rat her out instead of her mom just snooping especially too because grandma also has her figured out we didn't talk about that grandma found the fur and she calls her on it and she's like if you if you've been controlling the panda why did i find this fur?" it's like where 
how could you have possibly found that? But uh, her, and it, and it all makes sense because it's like, well, you're your mother's mother. So if your mom is that overbearing, then yeah. grandma's going to be even worse. Um, but I thought that that was all really well done. Um, but yeah, I would have rather seen Tyler actually do the ratting in this point. What I do like that they do here is in the aftermath that is the party at Tyler's, Jin finds a videotape that the girls made of May in panda form dancing to four town music with her friends. And I love that he finds it. I love that he sits May down. I love that May immediately thinks she's in trouble for it. And that's when he takes the opportunity to tell her the real story of what happened with her mother's panda and what happened with her mother. This is Jin's biggest moment in the film, and I'm glad that he got that moment because he's been so disrespected this entire time and to the point you made earlier, almost irrationally, because the rift between Ming and her mother was all because of Jin. I'm glad that he got this moment. I completely agree, especially because you almost ran the risk of having another character that was going to be like Priya and Abby where they seem so prominent in May's life, but because they don't have character arcs or a subplot, I was afraid upon first viewing that they weren't going to do anything with Jin and that he was just going to be the punching bag. So I love that they gave him this still waters run deep quality that he really understands May better than anyone. And he's just got to keep his mouth shut because Ming is just such a steamroller in every other aspect. So he's he's kind of just got to sit there and take it. And I hated that until this moment where you have this really lovely father-daughter bonding. And that, you know, thinking if it was her period, he's not afraid to actually try and have a conversation with her. Uh, so I thought that that was really well done. And I think that that might answer your question because I did answer your question at surface value, why she didn't stand up to her mother. But I think this scene is the real answer here is that May doesn't know that she can be both yet, that she can embrace the panda, that she can decide that she doesn't want to do the ritual. It's not until this scene with her father. Um, so I think that that's why she's not quite ready to stand up to her mother yet because she hasn't figured out for herself who she wants to be. If she wants to be, and this is where the coming of age thing really does come into play here because you are straddling that line of not only do I want to be who my parents want me to be or do I want to be my own person? She said I'm her own person, but she said it she hasn't done it yet right um and i think it's also that push and pull of being a child but stepping into adulthood i mean yes that is what coming of age is duh but it's um can i take this step without letting my parents down and how do i balance the two out right and in the next scene, they have the ritual where she does decide that she's going to keep the panda, much to her mother's dismay. And as she takes off to go to this four-town concert and make amends with her friends, her mother's pendant is fractured, and that's what releases the panda. 
what I love here is that the pandas, for all of them, are kept in plain sight. They're kept on all of these accessories, whether it be a ring, a bracelet, a hair clip. Yes. I love that they are all kept in plain sight and that they can be accessible at any time. Well, see, that was sort of something that confused me because I thought once you trapped your panda, I mean, they say the more you go back and forth, the harder it is to get rid of. How is it that they can call upon the panda? And use it. I thought once you made that decision, I mean, doesn't that kind of negate the whole end to this movie that once you make the decision, it has to be one or the other. It can't be both. But May chooses to be both and that's what separates her. So how is it that everybody can still call up their panda? Because the ceremony just traps the panda. Unless the panda's released, you can't just call upon it. You have to actually break the thing out to call upon it. Right. But it's like, how is that any different than learning to live with it and and letting it out when you want to let it out? Because none of them know how to control it. And that's the point. Right. And that's why Ming blows up into a giant rage monster, to quote Tony Stark. Yeah. So that's that's the whole thing is that May has more willpower. She has the ability to control this thing. None of the others do. Right. And especially with her mother and her grandmother, who are so holier than thou, the fact that she can do something that they can't. That's another really interesting thing, though, is that I think part of the reason that May is able to control it is because she does have the influence of both her mother and her father. Whereas if you look at her aunts and the grandma, they are all single women. We don't know that any of them are married. I mean, we can assume grandma was at one point. Um but I wonder if that's why the rest of them can't control it as well, because they didn't have the same influence that May does with Jin. Perhaps. Let's talk about the finale of the film. We get to the Sky Dome. We're at the concert. They, they killed it. The, the, the boy band energy that just comes through the screen, the lighting... The the choreography, the whole thing just knocked it out of the park. And it immediately is torn down when Ming shows up as a giant rage monster and destroys the Sky Dome. Now, the rest of them have arrived, her aunts, her grandmother, her father, and they have to perform the ceremony at the Sky Dome because the red moon is almost gone. If they don't utilize the red moon, they're never going to pull the panda out of Ming. Right. Um, I love that they all release their pandas because they all need to fight Ming united. It's a great reveal. It's a great reveal. And I love that they, they had talked about it during the first ceremony when she says, what are they singing? And they're like, well, it doesn't really matter. You just have to sing from the heart. I love that literally anything can be sung as long as it's sung with uh, with heart in this ritual and that you get the boots and cats thing I was just gonna say from yeah. the beginning of the film and that Fort Town now is singing with her and her friends and her aunts in this ceremony. I thought the whole thing was just spectacular. I truly think it is the power of the boy band that just put this ritual over the top. And hey, 
not for anything, but like 20 years from now, you could probably see Four Town for free at E to the Beat. Three <laughs> shows a night for two nights a week. Seeing Boots and Cats. Boots and Cats. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think that that was great how that ended, but I keep bumping on this whole idea that you see Ming interacting with her mother as an adolescent in this realm that they go to, this panda realm. It, it's great for May, but it doesn't, for me, it just doesn't do anything for mom because you see how bad mom is hurting. You see the pressure that mom was put under by her own mother. Her mother has the scar on her face that may or that Ming caused as a panda. And you see that she carries that guilt. It just defies logic that she would conduct herself the way that she does with her own daughter because not for anything, but it seems to me that the way that you were treated and 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 you had such animosity and such pain from how you were treated it seems like you basically did the same exact thing to may right but i think that's why it works it's overcompensating she's trying so hard not to put may through what she went through with her mother and the irony is you know they're trying so hard to protect that relationship that you ended up alienating your mother. And she runs the risk of the same thing happening with May because she's holding on too hard and you're going to push her away. And I think that that's relatable too. I think a lot of parents struggle with that. Sure. What I, what I really didn't love about it. There's a couple of things here in the last sequence. Um, At one point May says, I'm 13, deal with it. And upon first viewing, I was kind of like, you could have just summed up the whole movie with that one line. Um, But they do everything with a little bit more finesse than that, because following that line, um, May realizes that she doesn't have to be so perfect all the time and that you can still be a good person without striving for perfection. And you can let your foot off the gas a little bit and do the things that you want to do and make time for the things that you want to make time for and have a little bit more control of your own life. And in May's case, she can still put her family first without having to be perfect all of the time. And I think that that was an important lesson for her to learn. And I think that that's that's the whole arc. And to your point before, that's why she wasn't able to make that decision earlier. Are we ready to discuss the cast of this film? Yes. All right. Starting with Rosalie Chang, who plays May. Um, I think this was one of her first roles, actually. Um, And they cast her because they said there was just something perfect about her imperfections. Um, I thought she did a really good job in the film. I think she gave this character a lot of life. I think she made her very endearing. I would agree. Um, in that opening sequence, we're seeing May do all of these seemingly offbeat things. Like we wouldn't be just turning cartwheels in the middle of the street. Uh, so to juxtapose that against somebody who against the voice which holds so much confidence I thought that that was such a great move and I think that that carries through the rest of the film for as much as the character is so high and low with the emotion 
the voice is really what grounds it. And it still gives you that impression that even though you don't know what May is going to choose as far as keeping the panda or not, you know that she is going to have conviction behind that decision. Sandra O oh plays Ming. I have loved Sandra O oh since Arliss. I think that Sandra O oh did a great job with this character. The problem is that I don't like this character. I don't like her at the beginning of the film. I don't like her in the in the middle of the film. And for all of those reasons, I like her even less at the end of the movie. Um, I think if there's anything for me that holds this movie back from a perfect score, it's this character. I think the movie is near perfect. I think she is what keeps it from being that, and that's no fault of Sandra O. Oh. But does that lend to the perfection, though, because mom just gets under your skin so much? No. You you can't just have a character dislikable and write it off as, well, they got under your skin. Isn't that brilliant? If you, a, a bad character is a bad character. Using the same logic, I should love the two morons in Hocus Pocus. <laughs> who I think are the two worst actors I've ever seen in any film we've ever reviewed. No, and the worst 90s bullies. Um, oh, I... no! Uh... <laughs> It's so no, it's it's not brilliant. If you're dislikable, it's not brilliant. Well, I think that is the brilliance of Sandra O, oh, though, because I'm a big Grey's Anatomy fan from back in the day, early Grey's Anatomy. Actually, that was when I stopped watching. Was when she left because all of almost all of the OG characters were gone. Um, but that was, I think, what was so compelling about Christina Yang on that show because of the way that she played her she sometimes does things that are unlikable, but she grounds her characters so much you, you you can't help but find something compelling about them. Orion Lee plays Jin. I I just want to take this gentleman and those delicious bao buns that he makes. <laughs> I want to split some bao buns with him. I want to get him a six pack and I want him to just vent. This poor, poor man. This poor man. He does just seem pretty browbeaten, huh? You think? He he looks like a man that lives in a house. It it looks like he lives with the mother and all of the aunt, meaning the grandma yeah. and all of the aunts all of the time, and he is just surrounded by estrogen, and he just needs to get out. What we need to do is we need to make a buddy film with him and <laughs> Carl from Up, and put them together. <laughs> I think that that could be a really... And they don't have to do anything other than sit on a couch and just talk to each other. I think that that would be a compelling film, and I'd love to see it get made. I mean, crazier things have happened. They they do talk about Pixar taking place in one universe, so who knows? Ava Morse plays Miriam. Um, I like Miriam as a character. I think that she does all of the right things. I think that she is a a constant supporter, a consummate supporter of May. I think that she accepts her for her shortcomings. She pushes her out of her shell, but knows when she needs to reel her back into it. She's a very well-balanced friend. I I agree. Great character, the kind of friend that you want to have. Um, and, and I hate that Ming is always ragging on her. 
Which is another point about Ming, by the way. For somebody that thinks they're so involved in their daughter's life, how do you not know the type of character of her friends? And I, I don't mean character in terms of the film. I mean, how do you not know who your daughter is hanging out with? Because she doesn't care. Right, because it has nothing to do with... Her what? grades or yeah. the temple. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, but yeah, that's not fair to hold that against Miriam because she's great. My Trey Ramakrishna plays Priya. And I like this character because she's quiet. She's very unassuming. But she, I think, is the epitome of still waters run deep. And I think that you needed that in this friends group. I don't like that she's quiet, though. I love Priya. I wish they would have done more with her. However, I will give you that. The Stillwater's Run Deep thing, she really gets to the core of the apple, Sarah. You know? Yeah. yeah. She has these great one-liners that pretty much just summarize every scene or everything that's happening with May. Like, doesn't say much, but then the zinger comes in when you need it. But I just wish they would have developed the character a little bit more. Yeah. Hyen Park plays Abby, which is, in to me, it's just anger from inside out <laughs> as a human being. Yes. I love this character. She is my spirit character in this film. <laughs> I love everything about Abby. Same. We didn't spend nearly enough time talking about her when we were breaking down the plot because everything is just immediately to the extreme. I love her outbursts. I, I love when her doe eyes light up when she realizes that May is the panda and, and she just wants to hug her. And I love the rage, just the sheer blind rage. She's fantastic. but And that's where maybe it's not fair of me to say that you could have rolled all of the friends into one person because the characters are so great. But this is what I'm talking about. Give them more to do. Right. All right. Um. Final say on turning red. Oh no 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 no! We're we're not done yet because are we not? I want to talk about Four Town, okay, and the music because they are characters. Don't 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 shade your errands like that. Okay. Um, I love that Jordan Fisher, who is such a big Disney file, got to voice a character. I mean, we all know he did Happily Ever After. Obviously, we all know that he had his amazing Disney wedding but I love that he got to do more than just a song for Moana and he got to be in a character um I think that they just absolutely crushed the boy band the the stereotypes um but more than anything else I think what puts it over the top is the music uh which was Billie Eilish and her brother who admittedly I was never a fan of. I didn't like her music. I didn't see what the big deal was. I didn't understand why everyone was treating her like this child prodigy until this film. She did the music for the latest installment of James Bond, and she wrote all of the music for Four Town. The fact that she was not even alive when James Bond was at its peak or when boy bands were around, and she was able to master... Both of those things is mind-blowing. And to me, uh, I'm just going to say that she did a great job. To me, it also proves how full of crap she is. And I'll tell you why. 
she is um she gets off on not knowing musical history she swears to have never heard of van halen so how did you take this music that if you don't know who van halen is i can't, i can't imagine that you'd know who in sync is if you're so disconnected that you don't know who Eddie Van Halen is, the fact that you so perfectly nailed the genre of music from before you were born tells me that you pay more attention than you tell people. And that whole I'm so disconnected yet I'm a genius thing, I don't find it nearly as endearing as I think a lot of people do. I think she's more of a music file than she leads on to. Oh, I'll give you that. I I think that she's kind of got the too cool for school thing going on, acting like she doesn't care. But that's what I'm saying. You you can't produce music like this not having studied it. And she did. I did catch an interview with her about this music. She did listen to the boy bands. And one of the biggest things was not just the melody. She picked up on the lyrics with those double negatives. To me, you're never not on my mind. Come on. In one line, she just nailed it. Correct. Okay, are we ready now? One more question for you. Yeah. What do you think of Toronto as the setting? I think it's interesting. We we haven't seen... Well, here's the, here's the thing. In many instances... You don't even get a you don't even get a town labeled, and if it is, it's something like San Francisco. Right, it's something made up. So it's kind of interesting that in this respect, we have back to back films where they actually put you in a city. But as far as I can tell, we haven't gone to Canada before. Um, all of these Disney and Pixar films, we haven't gone to Canada yet, and we're sorry. And yeah. Um, I think that that was an interesting decision to make. Obviously, the director picked that because she was from Toronto. But I think, yeah, like it's time that we it's time we go to Canada, right? <laughs> We've been to Italy with Luca. We've yes. been all over the United States. We've been to Mexico in Coco. We've been to Colombia with Mirabelle. Why not go to Canada with May? No, you're right. And it's interesting, the films that you just brought up, because I think Pixar has a lot more freedom to do that, because obviously it's not the fairy tales, right? It's, well, even though you can question the reality of of turning red, it's not the same as having to create a place like an Arendelle for a fairy tale to take place in. Right. You can put this in a real world situation. Disney, up until... Encanto really never gave you a hard setting like that. It was only Pixar to do it. Um, but yeah, I, I like how they used the city. Um, I like how they they did um, give you that Chinatown setting where the temple is. Um, I thought they did a beautiful job with that. And I love how... Uh, it, it's not just the setting. They used the colors too. Like even just you know, the temple, the panda, it all emulates the Canadian flag. So I love how they tied that all together. Yes. Finally. Final Final thoughts. thoughts. Go ahead. You go. It's near perfect. If not for Ming, it's near perfect. I think that they take something that, obviously, it's something that all females go through. But puberty in general is something that every person goes through in their life. I think that the symbolism makes it very relatable. I think they tell a story without necessarily having to teach you a health class. 
Um, I, I, I think that they, they teach you a lesson without getting up on a soapbox. I think that they balance it with comedy. It's just, damn it, if Ming is not dislikable. I really wish that this character would have had an, an arc earlier or, or would have just been, you know, less extra than she was. It just, it didn't do anything to further the story in my opinion. So the movie is near perfect. I think it's got a lot of rewatchability. Every time I do see it, I do find something else that I didn't find the last time. Um, and I think that it's certainly something that uh, I think everybody can enjoy. I, I think it's a very approachable film for all demographics. I think you really hit the nail on the head. I'm honestly struggling trying to trying to think of how to sum this up without repeating exactly what you said because I agree on absolutely all counts. Um I feel like you know, this film gave us so much to chew on and so much I feel like I mean we always completely unscramble things and break them down. Uh but I feel like this film in particular we've really picked things apart more so than we have in a while and just questioned a lot. Um but there was an answer for every question that we had. And I think that that is the mark of a near perfect film. But what stops it for me is the same thing is Ming uh, just because of the double standard, which like I said before, it is supposed to bother you, but I think maybe if they had exercised a little bit more restraint with it, we wouldn't feel that way. Um, but otherwise, uh, it, it, it's fantastic and um, I agree it's totally rewatchable and I think that that comes from it being so relatable at every age you know you you do have the nostalgia the horrifying nostalgia of what it was like to be 13 especially coming from the female perspective um, you get the growing pains of trying to step into being your own person and live up to who you think you should be in the eyes of your parents. I think that's extremely relatable. And I'm sure that as a parent, they are finding ways to relate certainly to Ming and for as little screen time as he has Jin. Um, so it, it really does from what they sell you in the trailer of being a coming of age film. There really is something for the whole family here. We want to know what you have to say about Turning Red. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the Week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I -Z at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official Monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. Don't forget, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's work. It's online at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. She's rolling out all of the fall prints. Go check them out. All right, let's talk about some Emmy wins for Disney. 
uh, these were announced. Um, it was the same. It was the Monday right after D23. So forgive us. There was a lot of other news coming out. Yeah. And it was the first Monday night football of the year. So I don't understand why they would host the Emmy Awards against Monday night football. Much less in week one. But I digress. Um, Chadwick Boseman posthumously won for his voiceover work on What If? Which I think that he earned. I thought he was excellent, but there was some, not a lot, but there was like some serious backlash about that. There were people that were saying that he only won because he's no longer here. And I thought that that was an extraordinary, first off, extraordinarily rude and disrespectful. Yeah. But he put in an, an outstanding performance. Which we actually can speak to finally, yes, because as of the time of this recording, it. we watched it. This is normally where we would say at the time of this recording, we haven't seen it yet. We finally did it. And oh my God, were we sleeping on it. The the zombie episode, I absolutely really loved it. Um, but I loved the whole thing. And I was shocked that so many of them voice their animated character i yeah. thought they were going to hire you know it's like they did with the ninja turtles like they hired similar sounding voice actors yeah but not exactly the same right um so i was really excited to see that marvel showed up and showed out and maybe they were contractually obligated to do it but i thought they all gave a great performance um I, I certainly don't think that Chadwick Boseman didn't deserve it. I, I think, I, I agree. That's really rude. Chippendale Rescue Rangers won for Outstanding Television Movie. Hey. Not a surprise. The big winner, though, and I, I haven't seen it yet. I've been wanting to watch it. I just haven't had the time to sit because you just have to dedicate so much time to it. The big winner was Get Back. Yes. Um, Get Back won. Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction Series. It also won Outstanding Directing for Peter Jackson. It won Outstanding Sound Editing for Nonfiction or Reality Program, Single or Multi-Camera. It won Outstanding Picture Editing. And it, run, it, uh, it won Outstanding Sound Mixing. So that was a big winner. So... Disney taking home some Emmy hardware this year. Um, maybe not quite as much as we all thought they would have. But I also think that they're still kind of coming back from having productions suspended for so long. I would suspect that by next year, especially like we didn't get a Mando. Technically, we didn't get a Mando this year. Right. Book of Boba Fett didn't win anything, though, which I thought was interesting. Um, yeah, usually Star Wars goes home with all the VFX. Yeah, I mean, I just looked it up, and it, it, it didn't. But but I'm thinking that by next year, well, the Book of Boba Fett was, uh, it was okay. Honestly, it wasn't that great. It was all right. I liked it. Honestly, I liked it more when, when Mando got there. Didn't that come out Christmas? Yeah. So I'm wondering... If it missed the cutoff? Yeah. Maybe. But I'm, my point is, I think for next year, you can suspect that Disney is going to walk away with some more hardware because they just have so much more coming out to the streamer this year than they did last year. Absolutely. All right. Well, we want to know what you have to say about Disney's Emmys. Did you see Get Back? 
Was it worth all of the Emmys? Are you excited for Chippendale Rescue Rangers? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. And for links to everything related to the show, it's online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.